what if a conversation could be the difference between life and death? In this episode, author Mark Evans reveals his six-step impact process of having meaningful discussions in the face of mental health challenges, trauma, and burnout. He provides insight on how to stay positive and balanced despite the heaviness of these topics. Tune in to learn more about how you can have impactful conversations and what a difference those can make in the lives of those around you. Welcome to another episode of the Share Your Stories, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time series. This is a podcast experience where we get to learn from each other and get inspired by the stories that we have and our experiences. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I am the founder of Grieving Coach. Today, my guest is Mark Evans, an impact coach who supports people in business to overcome mental health crisis. Mark has been a coach and a therapist since 2005 and has worked in higher education, the employee and assistance industry, and since 2015, he has run his own business, Conversations with Impact. He has designed his own approach to change and transformation called the Impact Model, and his book, How to Transform Your Life with Impact, Unlock the Best of You, will be published in the summer of 2021. Before his career in coaching and therapy, he worked for the mental health charity Mind as a mental health advocate, and before that in media advertising. He has a passion for supporting people to turn their lives around, which comes from knowing that what he does can be life-changing and sometimes life-saving. Away from work, he enjoys a pint of real ale, walking in the Peak District in the UK, and eating Indian food as often as possible. So um, we mentioned your book, How to Transform Your Life with Impact. Tell us a little bit more about it. Uh, well, thank you, Jenny. Um, so a few years ago, I was studying what I believe to um, be effective therapy and coaching. You know, I was had to be a keen uh, observer and studier of, of what works and what doesn't work in the professions that we, we both practice. Mm-hmm. Um, someone suggested that, that I get myself a model um, and so I combined my observations of what works and what doesn't work with that suggestion, took the impact from the name of my business and turned it into an, an acronym, which became the impact model. So would you like me to go through the six stages of the impact model? Yes, please. Okay. So the principle that I work with uh, is, is this, that if someone is talking to me, it means they're making a comment on their existing conversations and that those mm-hmm. conversations are not making the difference that they're after. Because if they were, they wouldn't be talking to me. Right. So I see my role as a coach and therapist as seeking to understand what is missing from someone's existing conversations. And even those they're having with themselves, with their self-talk. And I put what's missing into the conversations they have with me so that they know talking to me feels different. Mm-hmm. And that that's the point of you and I. At the conversations with, with us has to feel different. Otherwise, they can talk to their husband or their wife or their boss or their colleagues or their friends. Yeah. So that is the first principle and the first stage of my model, which is the I for impact. And that's giving someone a conversation with impact. And that's, like I say, simply one that makes the difference someone is after by giving them what their existing conversations can't or won't. Mm-hmm. So the second stage is M for meaning. So when people are talking to me, they're often know they're struggling, but they they can't make sense of it. They don't know why they're struggling. Mm -hmm. So in uh, this context, I refer to meaning as the ability to make sense of why things are as they are. Yeah. So that's everything from symptoms and effects to uh, to emotions, to behaviours, to to the way the, the 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 world is for the for whoever you know I'm talking to. But but really, for progress to be made, they have to be able to make sense of uh, what they're going through. So right. that's the M stage. Uh, P stands for patterns. I have two basic questions for the P stage, which is: What is someone doing a lot of that isn't working? What are they not doing enough of that is? And I break that down into patterns of thought, patterns of behaviour, patterns of feeling, patterns of relationships, and I can then help someone understand what they're going through, you know, especially the emotions that they're going through, uh, through reference to those two sets of patterns, the ones that aren't helping and then the ones that, that, that are or would, will be. Mm-hmm. The fourth stage, yeah, the fourth stage is uh, acceptance. So A for acceptance. Now, 
when someone sat in front of me, um, they often are living with what I call a fantasy reality gap. And that breaks down into the following. So that's the difference between who someone thinks they are and who they actually are, mm -hmm. what someone thinks they're doing and what they're actually doing, uh, and the life someone thinks they're leading and the life they're actually leading. Yeah. Uh, and often when I speak to people, there's obviously a, often a quite a sizable gap in all of those three categories. And now into that gap, poor stress, poor anxiety, possibly eventually depression, anger, you know, uh, or resultant behaviors like addictions. And the way to close that fantasy reality gap to something much more healthy and motivating is through acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, the most common fantasy reality gap I come across is, is one, you know, that's influenced by low self-esteem. Yeah. So the fantasy is I'm, I'm not worth anything. I don't deserve anything. I'll never achieve anything. The reality is actually they are worth something. They, they, are, they can achieve things in life, um, but they have to accept that they have value. They have to accept that they have worth and resourcefulness. So, mm -hmm. so that's the, the fourth stage. The fifth stage is, is C for challenge. So again, if someone's sat in front of me or you, the chances are that life is either too challenging or it's not challenging enough. Right. So what I do is help people find the sweet spot of challenge, which is, um, which I've helped them find, sorry, through the Goldilocks principle. So, you know, heard of the story, the Goldilocks and the three bears and the porridge. Right. Okay. So it's not too little challenge. It's not too much challenge, but it's just the right amount of challenge. Uh -huh. And often when people have the right amount of challenge combined with the right strategies to achieve their goals, that's when progress can be made. Right. And then the, the last stage, the sixth stage, is T for transformation. So, so that's really the point that, that I'm trying to get someone to is when they can say to me, Mark, the transformation that I came to see you about, I've achieved that. This is what it looks like. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is the life that I'm leading. Uh, I've arrived. I've arrived at my, my destination. So, so I see transformation really as both the journey so it's the, the actual act of transforming and then the destination, the, mm -hmm. the transformation mm -hmm. in its complete, in its complete stage, um, sorry, in its complete form. And that's my impact model. There's so that those uh, six stages, I pretty much can you know, guarantee that if whatever someone comes to me with, I can help them identify why they're struggling in the way that they are through reference to, to at least one, uh, if not all of those six stages. Um, so it's both a diagnostic model, but also a, a transformative one because it then mm -hmm. gives people the, gives people the, the, the map, I suppose, to help them get from where they are to where they'd like to be. Yeah, so, so that's exactly. my impact model. Yeah. That's beautiful. And as a coach, I see there's so much value in having a model like that where it addresses all layers of a person's journey and where they're at, how they see themselves and where they want to be, where they want to go. Yeah. I think spot on because as I say, when, you know, as I was in my early career and I was getting into the middle part of my career and I started to, to talk to people who had previous experiences of therapy and coaching when it hadn't worked, I'm thinking, well, why didn't it work? Or when I haven't helped people, why haven't I helped people? And I think you know, often it's, you know, um, down to, the approach missing something there's just some aspect of of you know human psychology or human functioning that, that a model an approach a therapist or a coach just doesn't have so they're missing a vital piece and and you know without without wishing to you know they are they are they are unable to help the person get to where they want to be because they have this this missing piece um mm -hmm. so i think you know the six stages of the model you know i thought well what do people go through? What are the non-negotiable stages of change and transformation, um, you know, that are missing from some approaches, which I would need to have in mind. And, uh, and that's where those six stages were, were born out. Um, I think the first stage, you know, the giving someone a conversation with impact is the most crucial one because all the other five stages are, are, you know, or getting through them successfully are dependent on you having a conversation with impact because, right. you know, yeah. So they're all important, but the first stage, you know, is the most important and that's why it's the first stage because like I say, if that's in place, if that's right, then then the, the, the remaining five stages are much more easily negotiated and got through than, than if someone is, you know, if the conversation is not impactful enough, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's too similar to the conversations they already know aren't working. Right. So you work, you mentioned that, this model, this impact model, can help you serve anybody with any life problem. And some of the life problems that you've worked with um, include mental health, trauma, depression, burnout, problem eating. So how do you tailor your program 
to the individual? Well, that starts with the first stage. So, so what I do is I, you know, I give people the principle that talking to me has to feel different. You know, it has mm-hmm. to give them, you know, the, the qualities and characteristics that are missing from their from their marriage, from their friendships, uh, from their professional relationships. So the way I do that is I've got uh, a couple of questionnaires. It's what I call my conversation with impact questionnaires. So one. One questionnaire is to do with their self-talk, the conversations with themselves. Mm-hmm. The other is to do with uh, their conversations with their with the people um, that in their existing support network. And what it does is it lists a, a series of of qualities and characteristics which they then score, you know, uh, in ways that reflect the degree to which a conversation does or does not have one of the important qualities and characteristics. And what emerges from that, you know, is a picture of what they need from me. So. Okay. The types of qualities are, are relational qualities. You know, for example, you know, I, I truly listen to them um, or I give them the time that they need. I don't judge them. Uh, or it could be more practical. You know, I give them solutions, techniques, strategies, you know, help them help them set goals. Usually it's um, usually it's a, a combination of, uh, of both relational and, and the more practical. Um, mm-hmm. And then we can start to get into the nitty gritty of, of their issues. So are they depressed? Do they have issues with food? You know, is, is it burnout? But once, because the, the conversation is one that's going to create the impact that they're after um and because i think most problems have have at their their heart the same problematic you know pattern um you know you can apply the the meaning stage and then the pattern stage the acceptance stage challenge and transformation in a Mm -hmm. sense whether it's eating whether it's burnout whether it's depression whether it's anxiety you know all of them are you know are explained through reference to those uh to those five stages um does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, so that that first conversation, even the very, very first interaction you have, is pivotal. Yes, I mean, you know, I, I discovered long ago. I am, I, you know, I've been a, a big studier and advocate of Scott Miller's work. I don't know if you've heard of Scott Miller, but he's um, quite well known in the states as an outcome informed researcher so he looks at uh, you know at what makes for effective therapy and the outcomes it, it results in, and you know he will say that first session, you know, is crucial in determining the outcome, the successful outcome of therapy and by extension coaching. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember, I'm sure I come across a statistic. I've come across it too often for it not to be true is that, you know, the vast, vast majority of people drop out of a therapy, at least, you know, after the first session, they go yeah. in, there isn't that immediate rapport, that immediate, you know, uh, relationship that is established between the practitioner and, and the client, because going for therapy is such a significant commitment. You know, there's often a huge amount of disappointment or frustration or 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 some or something negative that that comes from a first session which doesn't meet the needs and expectations of the client. So I can understand that. Um, so that first session in building the rapport demonstrating that you can help someone, demonstrating you can quickly get a handle of what they're going through, provide them with an explanation, provide them with a with a route map to um, to get them to where they want to be. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely pivotal. Because um, mm-hmm. I don't I think if it's it's not established in that first session, you know, I, I think you're you're gonna have to work pretty hard to to reestablish that connection over the next two, three, four stages. Um, in fact I was talking to someone the other day, um, a new client of mine, and and I said, well, have you had therapy before? And she said, yes. And I said, how did it go? And she said, well, not very well. Um, she said it went on for a year. And then after it just sort of petered out, you know, I, I, you know, we just sort of ran out of things to talk about. And I said, well, when did you notice it? It wasn't really working for you. And she said, in the first session, there was something mm. missing. And I said, well, how come you stuck it out then? And she said, well, I, well, I just assumed it would get better. Uh, and that's a really, it's, it's a really good example of, uh, I think, what I mean by giving that person a conversation with impact, because too many people stay in therapy, um, you know, often for long periods of time, as this lady did, um, knowing that it, it, it wasn't working from the first session. And yet, mm-hmm. and yet somehow, you know, both collude to, to remain in it, you know, to the detriment of the client and often quite expensively uh, to the detriment yeah. of the client. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a brief therapist anyway, solution-focused therapist, and, and you know, that f- school of therapy and, and of coaching, which is obviously very similar, is very much, you know, um, looking to make the biggest impact in, in that first session. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because again, you know, a lot of research shows, you know, 20, 25% of, of therapeutic improvement takes place between booking of the actual first session and the first session, it, it, you know, itself. So that client is already on, a, on an upwards trajectory of progress. And it's the job of the therapist and the coach to maintain that momentum, to maintain that trajectory and, and not giving someone a, a conversation with impact, you know, really does burst the balloon of the, of the client who's who's already in a good place to, mm-hmm. to make progress because, because of the research suggesting that amount of change takes place once they've once they've made the first contact and booked the first session right that's what i found in my uh, practice too even the first contact from the first contact to the first session they're transforming not only the ways of grief not only working on their grief but they're experiencing transformation in other aspects of their life too because they have that momentum they have that glimpse of transformation is possible and i can do it yeah, because they've internalized the positivity of their of the action that they've taken to to seek help. Um, mm. They're looking forward to it. And maybe the initial encounter with the therapist or the coach has been positive, you know. So they've they've reset their mind body system. Their mind body system is is already in the right state to to see the world, you know, uh, differently. Um, you know, if someone if someone is struggling through grief and you know is is depressed or stressed or anxious or angry you know or one of any of those common emotions and they book a first session and that first impact with the therapist or coach does not shift them out of that negative state into a positive one and then they go along to the first session and that doesn't work so well you've yeah it's it's a it's a, an unfortunate but you know pretty predictable outcome mm-hmm. so so i think yeah that first encounter you know right from the word go you're giving someone a conversation with impact which means they're already in a more positive state they then you know build on that momentum so by the time you're you know they're sat in front of me or you let's say in that first session you know you've 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 hopefully got quite a lot of momentum built you know and then mm-hmm. obviously that's where we do our job to give a pass over a share our expertise show them that change is possible you know and and hopefully after that you know not guaranteeing any outcomes but you're pretty hopeful that you're gonna you're gonna have a positive outcome as a result right so dealing with serious topics like depression anxiety mental health problematic eating addictions, those can be really heavy topics. How do you balance that out with levity in the midst of the seriousness? I I think touching on the conversation we've just had, I I think if you really do impact on your client and you show them that you understand their depression, you show them that you can, you can help them overcome it. You, you, you give them positivity, you give them hope, you give them excitement almost, you know, that actually that's, that's the, the dynamic in the room. Um, you know, if I had a penny for every time a client, you know, said, you know, I didn't expect to laugh so much in therapy. I didn't expect to laugh so much in coaching, you know, yeah. then, then I'd be a rich person. Um, you know, so, you know, I remember at the university I used to work for, you know, you know, people outside would often walk past saying, why, so, why, why are you laughing so much? You know, it's because, because, well, because you have that nice rapport, you have that, that hope and, um, and look, you know, your clients, just because they're depressed or angry or stressed doesn't mean they're not funny. It doesn't mean they haven't got great stories to tell. It doesn't mean they haven't got great memories that they're, they're, they're happy to share. Um, and obviously, it's, it's our job to make sure we t- tease all of that out. Uh, of uh-huh. them. Um, so I think the levity is maintained through the hopefulness and the momentum that's generated by the client seeking help in the first place. You give them a conversation with impact. So, so the focus shifts away from the worries that they've got and whether the therapy or the coach is going to work on just the fact that they're enjoying themselves and finding talking to someone who can help them and and that often produces you know a lot of laughter a lot of levity you know uh, and certainly yeah. a lot of positivity um you know, obviously you and I will be aware that we've got to in a sense we've got to lead our clients out of their depression out of their anxiety so so we've got to give off you know non-verbal uh, and verbal communication signals which they can pick up on you know which can can encourage them to step out of, uh, of whatever difficulties that they're in and so it's not that we're sat there laughing and smiling at them when they're depressed, you know, but we're right. our whole body, our whole, you know, deportment is, is, is leading them to, to be more, uh, to be lighter, I suppose, to be more hopeful. Um, you know, so, so again, the levity comes from the sort of the rapport, you know, created on, on that basis that in my experience anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah. So talking about the, the grief and the depression, there is a place for that. And, and, feeling and being in that space with our clients. And there's also space for levity. So how do you balance both? 
I'm not sure I, 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 I think, think about it too, too uh, carefully. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, you'll have a view of how you practice. Um, I think I'm pretty spontaneous. You know, I'm I'm, I'm working in the moment, going with whatever mm-hmm. I feel, uh, you know, is appropriate. So, you know, if someone needs me to to empathise with them and to be there, you know, at their lowest point because they've lost a loved one, for example, you know, um, I use my professional judgment to decide. Well, I, I don't think this is the time for a joke. Uh, <laughs> right, right. You know, but on the flip side, you know, if someone if someone is uh, is you know, is recording a memory of you know of someone that they've lost, and that person was was funny, or you know, and and there they've got a smile on the face. You think, do you know what? You know, now the end. Maybe now's the time to to grieve through laughter. Um, uh-huh. Oh yeah, I, it's not something I you know have a, a clear map of you know throughout the session, right? You know. Ten, you know, nine fifty nine. I'll be funny, and at half past eleven, we'll, uh, so I, yeah, I suppose it's in the moment, really. It's one right. but, but You know what clients are like. They they give you great cues, don't they? You know, you know when to just slow everything down, and and you know the tears are going to come, and you also know that when their body posture changes, you know they're probably going to recall something about the person they've lost. You know, which is which is humorous, which is memorable in in some way. Yeah, I think I agree with you one hundred percent. It's it's being present. And in the moment with a client. And I find that with my work too. Um, What are you most passionate about in the work you do? Very simple. I just, I just want to make a difference to people's lives. You know, I say to people, I said, the the point of the relationship between you and I is that you and I run out of things to say to one another and that we never see one another again. (laughs) It's one of those weird relationships where, uh, I mean, you know, I've been working with some people for many years, you know, especially Uh on the coaching front because their personal professional development you know, coaching's a part of that. Um, yeah. You know, but I, but I do. You know, I, I, I love the day when, when the person walks away, and you know, and they, we run out of things to say. You know, that's a great day because I know they're in a great place, and um, and that's a beautiful thing to see. Right. In some professions, it's it's it could be a, a really foreign concept to work yourself out of a job, and I think in coaching and in therapy situations. That can be one of the biggest achievements is to have your client say, I'm good. I'm good. I've gotten what I needed. Now I can fly on my own. Yes. I, I think, I think with the, with the way the world is, we're, we're unlikely to, uh, to uh, do ourselves out of a job, but I, I know what you mean. Um, it is a paradox, isn't it? But our, our happiness is, is other people's unhappiness, but, um, but I don't mean that in a, <laughs> in a horrible way. Um, <laughs> Yes, I think with the coaching, uh, I think there's often a case for a longer term relationship because it's part and parcel of someone's personal professional development. I think with uh-huh. therapy, um, I think, yeah, uh, I know some therapy does go on for quite some time, but it, on, on the whole, you're more likely to have a, a final therapeutic ending than you are coaching ending because, because um, like I say, coaching tends to take over when someone's in a good place and they're, and they just want to push on in life and, you know, achieve that promotion, get that relationship, you know, um, you know, you know, stretch and challenge themselves for the rest mm-hmm. of their lives. And uh, um, so, yes, I, I know what you mean. And I do, I do say, you know, the point is for you and I to run out of things to talk about to my clients, you know, even if we don't end up doing that, but I think that signals to them that this is a different type of relationship. And, and I think that gives them, you know, um, gives them hope, I suppose, uh, and an expectation that you're, you're heading towards where they want to be rather than having some, something open-ended, you know, uh, which is potentially a bit aimless and, you know, uh, and, and without any clear sense of, of, of direction. Mm-hmm. And I think it gives our clients a sense of empowerment too. Mm. I've done all of this work to get me to where I am. Now I am able to be a grown-up, to be an adult, to, to fly on my own. Absolutely. You know, uh, look, every profession, you know, um, has, it can give itself a bad name. Uh, and certainly with, uh, with, with, with our professions or therapy and coaching, you know, there's, there's often um, ineffective therapies where it just goes on and on and on, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and there's no sense from the therapist, from the practitioner or from the coach bringing it to an end because for one reason or another, they, they assume that going on and on and on is perfectly reasonable. You know, there's some real horror stories of people having weekly sessions over three, four, five years, certainly in the UK, at vast expense, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and the client is, is, is not only is no further forward, they're actually worse off. Um, you know, I've worked with people who've had, working with someone last year who came to me and said, well, I've, I've had two years of therapy and, and now I want to talk to you about my future. And I'm thinking, 
what the hell went wrong in, in your two years of therapy, you know, solely, solely focus on their past, you know, and depressing mm-hmm. the hell out of them as a result. So, so I think, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, ethically we need to be really mindful as an empowering of the client to say, this will end. That's the aim of this ending, not when it's too soon, uh, but when it's just right. But that is the assumption. And, and like I say, ineffective versions of what we do is, uh, you know, does not have that aim, even if, um, even if the, you know, the, the practitioner might say it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in our earlier conversation, you talked about your transformation from a coach and therapist and uh, being a coach and therapist and a businessman on the side to transforming into a businessman with being a coach and therapist on the side. Tell us more about this. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say that was through design. I think it's more more by accident. So so like I say, most of my career has been spent in higher education, working uh, in universities uh, in the UK. And then uh, higher education is going through a lot of change, certainly in this country, and um, as made redundant. So at that point, you know, I'd, I'd had my business as a sideline to my main career. So that's what I meant by being a coach and a therapist, you know, with a website. Um, that's what I was. Uh, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I was self-employed and, and my, my business became my main source of income, became my profession. So, so I made a choice. I could have gone back into higher education, you know, with another university or taking a different role in the one that I was made redundant from. Um, but I decided to, you know, the time was right just to, to be self-employed and to go it alone. So that's when I became a business person who happened to be a, a coach and a therapist because mm. you know, being self-employed, you know, the day job is only a small part of, of what we what we do. Look, here you and I are on a podcast, for example. Yeah. Um, there's marketing and you know social media and websites and blogs and networking and uh, and, and all of that um, paraphernalia. So so that's been um, that's been quite a shift for me to to get myself comfortable with that identity as a business person who is mm-hmm. also a coach uh, and a therapist. Because I think as I was making that transition, not having that identity, running a business, but still thinking of myself just purely as a coach and a therapist, wasn't making me a very successful business person. So I think that 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 shift was one that um, was necessary. And yeah, it's, it's still work in progress, but, uh, but that's what I mean by that. What was the biggest, um, what was the biggest catalyst in that shift for you? just um struggling i think with some of the fundamentals of business you know uh, pricing um it, it almost structuring my days so before you know because well i just do coaching and therapy um and then then you know the phone isn't ringing or you're not making any new clients and you're thinking well why, why you know surely i've got a website people are just going to come flocking to me uh you know there must be a queue of clients outside the door <laughs> you know so so i think that harsh business reality you know kicked in it's like oh so i have to do something to make to find clients and to encourage them to yeah yeah uh, and um you know, um, so so that um, so that penny dropped, and you know, luckily, I you know, I'm not str- I don't struggle for fantastic people around me to give me the business advice that I that I need. But it was yeah, it was that realization that um, simply sitting there in a room with a website, you know, wasn't enough to generate a whole stream of clients. Was uh, was a, a bit of a reality uh, check. Yeah, yeah. I completely understand that one. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's a necessary uh, stage all new coaches and therapists go through, isn't it? You know, they think, oh, you know, I'm trained. I've got a website. You know, um, you know, uh, uh, we have that fancy. We'll be turning people away. We'll be so busy, and then, and then obviously, yeah. And then reality hits. Oh yeah, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And then you find out that Santa Claus doesn't exist, and uh, you know, and the whole world is doomed. <laughs> so what helped you? Um, what helped you in that struggle of of realizing oh yeah i have to actually work at this and and do all the dirty work behind the scenes logistical work of running a business um what helped you plow through that and stay consistent and grow through that growing change that's simple um if i don't earn then then my kids don't get fed i mean you know it's as simple as that. Um, but to be honest, I mean, I think I, I think you know, because I've went out and found experts who can help me with with the you know the, the, the these fundamentals of business. You know, 
and, and still do and, and, and will always. Um, I actually quite enjoy business, um, you know, as much as I could do a bit of social media today and, you know, and sometimes you don't quite feel in the mood for it, but I actually enjoy the fundamentals of business because as much as they're separate from, from the day job, from the coaching and therapy, you know, what I know is that when people, when uh, a member of the public who's, who's experiencing bereavement, they come across a post of yours or a post of mine, or they, they listen to a podcast like this, you know, that, that can often um, make the difference between whether someone decides to seek help or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see the business, you know, and all of the other bits, you know, that, that I do in addition to to the to the coaching and therapy is as an extension of that. You know, I see it as providing a public good. I see it as providing value, and and because I love making a difference to people's lives. Now, now you and I have both had clients who found us through seeing a social media post or an article in a magazine or listening mm-hmm. to a podcast. You know, so that momentum we talked about earlier, you know, that that's generated by the business efforts that we, we produce. Yeah. Um, so that's what, that's what I, I have in mind whenever I'm, you know, I'm doing something um, like social media or, or even this, um, this, you know, this interview between you and I, anything, it, it is always having a person in mind who's struggling in some way, who through these efforts, you know, yeah, we might change their lives. Uh, who knows? We might even save it. Right. Yeah. Um, it brings to mind that you never know the impact that you can have on a person's life. You may never know how powerful, like a podcast like this may be. It, it may hit the person exactly at the right time when they need it and literally save their life. Yeah. 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 I think that has to be, that has to be the, the motivation because everything else is a bonus isn't it if you you know if, if we save at least one person's life through this through this podcast you know then then we've achieved you know mm-hmm. our, you know what we set out to achieve but the chances are at that more at that more difficult end of, of life experience um you know we will have had a you know the ripple effect on on other people in in less difficult circumstances but nevertheless in need of of some kind of catalyst for change you know uh, we would have yeah. we would have impacted so yeah I, I think that has to be the you have to go in with it into any anything you do in our professions with that with that with that motivation because yeah otherwise you can't possibly impact on someone you know um Mm -hmm. and and what's the point of that yeah so what would your advice or encouragement be to people who are young in their coaching career and struggling to make that transition from coach therapist into business person um to keep going on the path of becoming a, a business person. Oh well, okay. Um, I think I would have. The first thing I do is, is you know, is, is keep ask, encourage them to keep in mind why they're in, why they're doing it in the first place. Uh-huh. So you know, let's let's assume that's because they want to make a difference to people's lives. So you know, if they keep that in mind, then I think that's a big help. I, I do believe you know anyone you know in coaching and therapy in the in the early stages of their career you've got to get the right type of advice. You have to have the right people around you. Um, if you're fortunate enough to be a great business person, uh, as well as a coach and a therapist, then, then great, you know, but many, many of us aren't, I certainly uh, wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not enough to, to know why you're doing it. You know, uh, that's not enough to, to keep, keep things, um, keep things going. In my experience, you have to have the, the right advice, the right expertise, the right input, just as people have come to see us, they need our expertise to help them change. Well, we need someone else's input, business people's input to help us, you know, uh, grow and develop our business. So, yeah. so I think, yeah, the right expertise, which means the goals set are realistic and the strategies to achieve those goals are, are realistic too. Um, yeah. So that costs money. Um, but again, I think something that I've realized and, and maybe you've realized as well. And, you know, if we're giving advice to people, you know, who, who are going through this too, yeah, back yourself, you know, believe in yourself, trust in yourself, take a leap of faith, find the money, invest in yourself, you know, because because there can't be any doubt that, that you won't be successful at some stage. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that phrase unshakable belief is is really pertinent here. You know, you have to have unshakable belief in yourself as a business person. That same unshakable belief that you have when you're in the room with a client that you have to transmit to that client if they're going to be persuaded that you, you, you can help them. You know, that unshakable belief that needs to, to pass between you and them again that that still that has to exist in your business as well yeah that's pretty powerful 
Yeah, you know, and someone told me to go away and get myself a model. You know, I think that's that's been a huge, huge thing for me. You know, obviously, when you're new in your coaching or therapy career, you've got the model that you were trained in. Um, but I would I would massively encourage people to to be confident in themselves to, to say, well, that's useful to me over time. You know, but what's your approach? What do you really know works? Personalize mm-hmm. your model, make it make it work for you either. Either that's, you know, um, evolving, you know, the model you were trained in or, or coming up with something unique of your own. I mean, you know, all the models that exist, I mean, there are hundreds of them. Well, they, they, they all probably, you know, were the spark of inspiration from someone at some point who said, you know what, my old model's great, but I think I've got an even better way, you know, and that's, that's how our professions grow, I suppose. And, and my, my model hopefully can make a contribution to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, the power of having a model and learning from that model and also incorporating your truth, your way, uh, what fits for you and meshing those into something that really works for you. Um, What are your top three lessons in life that you've learned along your journey? Oh, blimey, Jenny, you've got the questions, haven't you? Uh, top three <laughs> lessons in life. Um, okay, so so when I was a, um, when I was a, a university therapist and coach, so I'd worked with uh, undergraduate students and postgraduate students, and there were two types of students that I that I'd worked with. So ones that would come in knowing exactly what they want to do after leaving university, so doctors or lawyers, and then you'd have another type of student who would come in uh, and they wouldn't have a clue. They'd had a really interesting degree, you know, but but they were as to what they wanted to do uh, after university. Uh, they hadn't a clue, so so that was me. Um, you know, I did a degree in cultural studies, which is all extremely uh, interesting, but but vocationally useless. Um, and looking back at my time, uh, then um, I really, really did learn a lot. You know, um, but I didn't realise that I was learning a lot. So when I was talking to these students, I realized I had to give them something positive for them to, to be hopeful upon leaving university, even though they didn't know what they wanted to do. And the phrase I came up with was what I call purposeful drifting. So when I look back at my career, I didn't realize it, but the six years after I left university, I worked in advertising sales and national media. It was a pretty hard job. You know, it was a really hard job. And in the late 90s, you know, uh, early 2000s, it's a pretty brutal job as well. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it, at times, it was really hard. But actually looking back, you know, I learned a hell of a lot in those six years. Um, so I was drifting. I was a bit aimless. I didn't really know where I was going in life. But as I now know, it was with purpose. And, and I think that's that's one of the lessons I certainly passed on to the students and anyone else who's struggling is that have faith that even in, even in uh, moments of desperation or moments of uncertainty or just, you know, what the hell's going on, trust that you are gathering something useful and you're drifting with purpose. So, mm-hmm. so that's one life lesson. The second, I suppose, it's a bit of a cliche, but sometimes when you're at your lowest ebb, that's 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 the best moment for you. That certainly happened to me. I, uh, you know, I spent most of my twenties, you know, hitting the self-destruct button and got myself into into, into quite a lot of trouble. And on on my worst day, uh, it turned out to be my best day because I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you if it wasn't if it wasn't for that day. So, so yeah, it, it wasn't great how I, how I turned myself around, but, but my lowest day was, off, was, was definitely my best day as well, because as I say, I'm only in the careers professions that I'm in now, you know, because I, I learned the hard way, but was mm-hmm. really, really then appreciative of, of life, I suppose. And, uh, yeah. you know, and I started to work with someone like myself and I saw the power of our professions to turn people's lives around. And, and as you say, the rest is history. So look, if you can get through life and, and really thrive and survive and flourish without having to hit rock bottom to achieve that, then, then fantastic. You know, that's, that's the ideal way, but I'm not so sure there's too many people out there who, uh, who swim through life in that way. So, yeah. so, but often, you know, when people come to see you and I, you know, they really don't have any hope, you know, they really, they really do struggle to see a way forward. And if, if you and I can look them in the eye and say, yeah, been there, done that, you know, there is hope and uh, you, we can see a way forward, you know, uh, if you've been there too, I think that gives you a certain, ability to impact on them in a way that maybe someone who's who doesn't quite doesn't quite understand what that's like uh, may may, mm-hmm. may not be able to so that would be the yeah. second one um third life lesson um well go walking in the countryside drink real ale and, and eat lots of indian food i think that would be <laughs> 
<laughs> can I have can I have three in one? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 look, I suppose yeah. Enjoy your work, you know, but but boy, enjoy life outside of work as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and to me, it it can all be summed up in enjoy life, like enjoy yourself, enjoy your who you are in your life with that unshakable belief. Enjoy even even our rock bottom times obviously we're not going to be enjoying them when we're in them but to value them appreciate them for them as teachers as mentors as turning points for change and enjoy the process enjoy like the journey of life yeah, you know, all the best stories, you know, the great, the, the great religions, the great religious stories, you know, the great fairy tales, the great modern tales, you know, they, what do they do? They, they take us in fictional form. They, they put us through the ringer early on in the story, you know, uh, things are desperate, things fall apart, there's crisis, you know, uh, and then you get to that, that, that middle part of the film where, where someone has an epiphany and, um, and they turn their lives around. I'm a huge, huge Star Wars fan. You know, when mm-hmm. I first saw it in 1977 at the, t- at the tender age of seven and right through to now, it's not for the special effects. It's not for, it's because it's a great fairy tale. Uh, you know, and what George Lucas was saying to young people in the 70s and what he, you know, carried on saying was that, yeah, life can be pretty tough. You know, life can be, you can lose parents. You can suffer enormous grief. You can, uh, you can be angry. You can fall foul of, you know, of, of, you know, of pretty unpleasant people. But if mm-hmm. you, if you keep the faith and, and you believe in yourself and you, you have a, an, you know, a sense of meaning and purpose and you have the right people around you, then, then amazing things can happen. So, you know, um, so I think, I think that type of belief, you know, that, um, that's often those great stories, you know, um, they can engender in people, you know, um, you know, again, is, uh, is, is, well, again, there's another life lesson, isn't it? You know, read, you know, watch films, you know, uh, enjoy stories, you know, cause, cause they're mm-hmm. about you. Uh, that's the whole point is they're about you and they can offer you a version of yourself that maybe you can't see yourself and a, and a path, you know, out of your difficulties, which, which you can't necessarily see either, you know, but, but if you can absorb the meaning from, from those stories, from those films, books, plays, etc., you know, then, mm-hmm. then, then that could be a great thing. Um, I don't know about you. I use lots of stories in my work, you know, because they often, you know, can be extremely powerful, you know, um, therapeutic coaching device. Yeah. And that's the basis of why I actually formed this podcast was to bring people together to share their stories, to impart their life lessons so that we can all learn together and reflect off of each other what we have been learning so that we can all grow together yes I, I i would suggest that therapy and coaching just emerged out of storytelling you know mm-hmm. um because i think storytelling at the heart of it is is all about human psychology and stories have been a, around for a hell of a lot longer than therapy <laughs> and coaching you know but um but i think yeah i think there's a as a look i, I i'm no anthropologist you know i can but but i think there's a strong argument to say that that therapy and coaching are are modern modern versions of, of ancient storytelling you know wisdom uh-huh. you know um so hopefully that's not too much of a stretch, but but I've you know but I've always held that view. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there anything else you would like to add to our discussion today? No, I I, I suppose um, look, you know, you've been asking me some some very interesting questions, but I I was just going to ask you, yeah, about your journey, about about how you've ended up interviewing me, and and you know and how you got here as well. Um, thank you. Um, so my journey in grief work started about four years ago when I was sitting with a friend receiving her story. Um, her husband died suddenly. And so I was gifted with the opportunity to take a meal to her family and listen to her story. And in that experience, I found such vulnerability and also such intimacy in the connection that we shared. And I learned two things. One, that I have the ability to sit with people in that rock bottom state. And also that my presence has a calming effect on people. And so from that, I wanted to help people more effectively in grief. And so I found my mentors. Um, I did some training, 
like a, a week long training. And then I was certified through the coaching at end of life program. And since then I've continued to hone my skills, my programs, how I work with grief, how I view grief, seeking mentors as a coach in grief and also in the business aspects. Um, I officially started my business July of last year. So I'm in the new-ish phase and also doing a lot of networking, collaborating connection to be on a an expert phase mm-hmm. in having connections like this, podcasts, articles, events. And I am amazed with the process, with the journey and how it's all unfolding. Amazed in what way? When I started my coaching program with Coaching at End of Life, um, like you, I had no idea where it would lead me. I just knew this is what I wanted to do. I had no idea the opportunities that I would have because of my training, because of the work that I'm doing, um, the connections that I'm making, the impact that I'm having on others' lives, the transformation that I am able to see as I work with my clients, as I work with others, even in one conversation, whether or not they become clients, um, to be able to see that transformation is incredible. Yeah, especially in the in the difficult area of grief to uh, to to give people a a glimpse that life they can have a life after you know after the after losing someone is uh, is immensely mm-hmm. powerful, isn't it? And so that they. Yeah, it's interesting when I worked at university, you know, you work with lots of young people and um, and it was always quite surprising, you know, just how much grief, you know, young people especially have to have to go through, you know, parents, mm. siblings. Um, yes, I think, I think especially with a young person, you know, at a formative stage like university, you know, to come in to lose a parent, say, you know, um, but to work with their, with their bravery, their courage, you know, um, you know, and for them to, to be able to, find a way of, of grieving, you know, but, but carrying on in their own path and maintain their studies and graduate and, you know, and to feel okay about that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was, uh, yeah, very inspirational and very, you know, uh, an amazing, something amazing to witness. So, uh, so yeah, I, I can understand why you're attracted to, to working in this area. Um, and a, another um, main passion of mine in addition to helping people transform their grief into power is educating people about grief. That grief isn't limited to death. It can be the loss of a headband. It can be the loss of a job or a relationship, any loss or change. My definition of grief is the natural response to loss. Yes. I think, you know, as I'm sure you discover, I think it's really interesting how people assume there's a right and a wrong way to grieve. Mm Mm-hmm. And by implication, they must be doing it wrong because if they were doing it right, they wouldn't feel so bad, or they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be behaving weirdly, or or they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be per- they wouldn't be crying on a permanent basis, and and it'd be really psychoeducation around grief, you know, explaining that it's it's not some smooth linear trajectory that you go through, and it, there isn't a right or wrong way. There's just your way. It can be extremely mm-hmm. comforting to people, can't it? When they when they stop berating themselves and criticizing themselves for grieving incorrectly, and they can just, you know ease themselves into their own way of grieving um yeah for us to be able to pass on that information to normalize and to reassure is uh yeah can be hugely uh, and it can just let them grieve naturally rather than possibly slip into something more well it's a horrible phrase isn't it but pathological grieving where they become stuck you know um you know for want of some normalizing and some helpful information some education is uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's, it's it's really really powerful it can be really and often I found that you know, just a bit of psychoeducation, a bit of normalising, a bit of uh, educative work, you know, is often enough for someone because they they know how to grieve, they know how to get through that. You know, it's just they needed to have that reassurance that they weren't doing it wrongly, and they can stop criticising themselves or mm-hmm. or being unkind to themselves. And yeah, often I don't know for you, often a lot of grief work for me is actually quite short terms. You know, it doesn't actually go on for quite a long time because the person doesn't need long term therapy for their grieving. They're perfectly capable of grieving correctly themselves. They just need that initial support, normalizing information, you know, reassurance, you know, um, to to set them on their way. 
and again, I think stories are, are a great way of giving people hope, you know, uh, after, after it's a great story that I was um, told during my training. It was borrowed from, uh, from the Greek tragedy, Greek tales, um, the story of Odysseus and the Sirens. Have you heard of Odysseus and the Sirens? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm not a classical scholar, but I, I, yeah, I do love this story. But um, so it's where Odysseus is sailing past the, the, the sirens and they, they sing their siren song. And the whole point is to lure ships to the rocks and to destroy them. And so uh -huh. Odysseus, he ties himself to the mast of his ship, you know, puts beeswax in his, in his uh, men's ear and, and he's able to hear the siren song, you know, but obviously they, they sail past and he's able to, to go home. And I remember during my training, I was uh, the, the, the lady who was training me remembers telling this story to, to a mother who'd lost her son through through drug addiction, mm -hmm. um, and the, the son was in hospital, and, you know, and subsequently died. and uh, And the therapist told the, the siren song to the mother, and she she remembers the, the power of that story to in a sense to engage with the loss of her son and the and and the grief, and you know, but not be drawn to the rocks to not have that you know the loss of her son you know define her life and destroy her life, and, and able to then to let go and to to go off and, and live her life, you know, despite her loss. And um, that's been a hugely, hugely powerful story, but illustrative of, of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's um, like you were saying earlier, our deepest, our rock bottom times and all of our experiences form us into the people that we are now. They create who we are. So whether we're purposefully drifting or whether we're at rock bottom or whether we're at, at the height of our game, all of them combine to mold us into the beings that we are. Yes, and, and often, often you know, the pain of grief can prevent someone from, from seeing that. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think it's our job, isn't it? Yeah, our job to, to reveal that that fundamental truth to someone that it is it is possible um yes you've got to have a conversation with impact you've got to have a great working relationship you've got to have you know useful psychological knowledge ideas tools strategies techniques but yeah absolutely just to uh the gift of being able to 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 show that possibility to someone um to give them hope um yeah well it's why we do what we do mm-hmm yeah no, but that's great to hear. No, it's, uh, you know, I wish you well with your business, you know. <laughs> yeah. What a time to start it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult time and lots of grief at the moment, isn't there? So I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you'll get lots of uh, reward from your job because no doubt you're, you're in demand, Jenny. Yeah. Thank you. And good luck to you and your business too and with your book coming out in the summer. That's incredible. Yes, well, uh, it'll be available uh, and, and all good Amazon outlets um, and you're, you're more than welcome to buy it and, uh, and all of your listeners, uh, Jenny, too, <laughs> and all of their friends and family and mm -hmm. tennis partners. <laughs> Wonderful. Yep. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us, Mark. Pleasure. Um, thank, you for the, thank you for inviting me. Where can people find you? So I'm at, um, my website is Conversations with Impact, so www.conversationswithimpact.co.uk. And that's where you're, they'll find me. Um, so, you know, it'd be great to hear from anyone, anyone who's listening to this podcast, who's interested in just finding out more about me or my model or just fancy to chat. You know, uh, I'm very approachable and, and happy to talk to anyone anytime. Wonderful. So if you enjoyed this, join us next time when we meet Kate Lane, a one-stop shop for all things end of life. And more of my work can be found on my website, grievingcoach.com and LinkedIn, Jenny Diltz hyphen grievingcoach. You can also join me on Facebook at Jenny Rencher Dilts. Mm -hmm.